Well, we're getting close to Christmas. Hard to believe. It almost felt a little bit like Christmas this last week, and then it warmed back up, and now it doesn't really feel much like Christmas. But we are continuing <clears throat> in our study kind of towards the Christmas story. And today, for just a little while, we're going to talk about God giving us signs as an assurance of His promise and His promises. And we all, if you've been living for God any length of time, you, you know that there are times when God does give us signs about things. There's a story told about a man that had started a diet. After he started his diet, he actually altered his drive to work because in between his house and his job, there was a bakery. <clears throat> and it was his favorite bakery. And so he altered his, his route to work to not have to go by that bakery. One morning, he accidentally took the, the old route, ended up driving right by his favorite bakery. And as he drove past, right there in the front window was a selection of, of all of his favorite baked goods. And he felt like this was no accident, so he prayed. And this was his prayer. Lord, it's up to you. If you want me to have any of these delicious baked goods, then create a parking spot right in front of the bakery. And it seems that it was God's will because after 23 times around the block, there was a spot right there in front of the bakery. While that might seem a little drastic, I won't ask for a show of hands of those of us who have done something similar to that. Lord, if it's your will, then let this red light turn green. Don't raise your hand. What it really comes down to is this. Would we recognize a real sign from God if we saw one? Many times we tend to craft our own signs from God, kind of like Gideon did. If you remember back in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, we read that God had told Gideon to go fight a battle. And Gideon wasn't feeling very secure and very good about the odds of winning that battle, even though God assured him that the Israelites would win. It seems that Gideon had managed over a period of time to anger most all the neighbors in the surrounding countries. And they were all joining together to fight against the Israelites. So to make sure that God was really on his side, let's look what Gideon did in Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel, remember God had already told him he was going to do this. But Gideon backs up and says, God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, squeezed the fleece, and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now you would think that would be enough, but no. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. Just the opposite. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry all the ground was covered with dew. So this was kind of one of those things where somebody 
heard from God. God told him to do something and said, I'll be with you. You'll win the battle. Just go fight the battle. And he said, well, let's just make sure. Do this for me. God does it. He goes, well, that was kind of good. Let's do the opposite. God did that too. They went out and they fought the battle. That type of action is still known as putting a fleece before the Lord because of Gideon's action with putting that fleece out. And while it might not be the same thing as the man at the bakery, it's another way that people tend to seek after a sign from God when making a decision. I want to give just a little bit of background about the first passage of Scripture that we're going to read. I think it's important that we know the story that leads up to what we're reading. While Israel had many kings throughout its history, all of them were not good kings like King David. Remember, David was called a man after God's own heart. In fact, some of them were just horrible. One of those horrible kings was a king named Ahaz. He served as the king of Judah for 16 years. Remember, Judah, at one point after Solomon died, Israel split into two sections. There was a northern section and a southern section. The northern section was still known as Israel. The southern portion, province, was known as Judah. So Ahaz served as the king of Judah for 16 years. During his reign, the northern portion of Israel, which was still called Israel, decided to join with Aram, which is present-day Syria, in attacking Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. In the face of this danger, Ahaz planned to go to the neighboring country of Assyria and ask for help. Eventually, he did just that. As Ahaz contemplated his options, the Lord sent Isaiah to him. And what Isaiah said is, you're going to win. Just go fight the battle. He also warned him against depending on a foreign power rather than the Lord to help Judah win the battle. Don't go to Assyria. You don't need them to win this battle. The Lord says you'll win. Just go fight the battle. Isaiah assured Ahaz that those who attacked Jerusalem would not destroy it, and he encouraged Ahaz to stand firm in his faith. And then Isaiah went one step further. And he offered Ahaz the opportunity to ask God for a sign to confirm his promise that Israel and Aram would not conquer Judah. And that both Israel and Aram would be defeated in the near future. So here's what happened. Ahaz knows that Israel and Aram is going to attack. So rather than trusting God, he says, I'll go join forces with Assyria and fight the battle. Isaiah comes and says, you don't have to do that. God's already promised you're going to win. Eh, I still don't know. So Isaiah says, I'll tell you what, ask for any sign that you want. Any sign. God says, ask for any sign and he will show you that you'll win. Ahaz said, no. I'd rather do it my way. I'll go team up with the Assyrians. But you can ask for anything from God. You can ask for fire from heaven or or rain or whatever. No, I'm just going to do it my way. So the passage of Scripture that we're getting ready to read 
begins with, begins with Isaiah's response to the king, king's refusal to ask for a sign. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. Then Isaiah, this is speaking to Ahaz, Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Isaiah says to, to Ahaz, Okay, you don't want a sign? Then listen up. Here's what's going to happen. God is going to give you a sign himself. You didn't ask for one, but there will be a sign. And we see that that many times in the Old Testament when there was prophecy, especially in the book of Isaiah, that the prophecy had kind of a twofold fulfillment. One of them was often an immediate fulfillment, and sometimes there was one in the, the near future, and then there was one it applied to something in the distance future. And this passage we just read is much that same way. The short-range fulfillment would probably be this. If you look back through history, referring to Ahaz's own household regarding the birth of a son in his family. We know that in the king's day, there was a, a woman named Abijah, who was a virgin at the time that she became Ahaz's wife, that after they married, she gave birth to a son named Hezekiah. Isaiah's prophecy concerning the kings that Ahaz was afraid of, remember the king of, of Aram and Israel, came true in about 721 B.C., when Assyria defeated both of them, just like he said. And the northern king, he defeated Aram and the northern kingdom of Israel. Guess when that happened? When Hezekiah was still a small boy. Look at verse 16. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So that was the immediate fulfillment of prophecy. The second fulfillment, and this one was the, the long-range fulfillment, was one that reaches to us today. And we read about the fulfillment of that in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew saw in the words of Isaiah a reference to the circumstances surrounding the Messiah's birth. And we know that he was correct. So while Isaiah's words had an immediate fulfillment in Ahaz's life, we know that the birth of Christ to the Virgin Mary is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that is found in, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. There were two fulfillments, and that's not unusual. We've talked about this before, and if you go back and read the book of, of Isaiah, you'll see that many times there was an immediate fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment doesn't really concern us very much. We go, eh, that was them. But that long-term fulfillment is a pretty big deal. 
Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Before we read that, if you go back and you look at Hezekiah, and that while he was a small boy, that that these countries were, were beaten down by the Assyrians, we see that that was important, but we have to realize that the fulfillment of, of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave, has not just implications to the people that lived in Ahaz's day, it has implications that apply to everyone that has ever lived and everyone that will ever live. And it has not just on this earth implications, it had implications that will go into eternity. So when we look at this prophecy, we see this is not just another prophecy. This is probably one of the greatest prophecies that was ever uttered from a human being's mouth. Amen? Luke 1, verse 30 through 33. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. As you would assume, the appearance of angels to most people sparks fear. And we see that many times that the angel will greet that person with a statement such as, Do not be afraid. Personally, I don't know that how much that would help. But it seems to be a common thing that angels spoke to people. Don't be afraid. The angel that appeared to Mary calmed her down by saying that you have found favor or grace with God. And this would be seen in this special task that he was going to tell her that she had. And then with wording similar to that that we read in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the angel Gabriel tells her that she would give birth to a son, and call his name Jesus. The name Jesus in the New Testament is actually a form of the version of Joshua found in the Old Testament. It comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to, to save or, or he saves. And here's where it got probably a little bit overwhelming for Mary, as if an angel appearing isn't enough. And if telling you that you're going to have a baby isn't enough, the angel goes on to tell her that the baby will be the Messiah. The one they've been waiting for for generations. The one they've been waiting for for centuries is going to be your child. And that he would reign over the house of Jacob. We have to realize that this was something that women had looked forward to for centuries that their child would be the Messiah and most Jewish people are still looking for him today it was thought of to be that the person who this would happen to would be blessed because of prophecy and the thought of this being you, in Mary's case, had to be overwhelming. 
I've heard of this all my life. My mother said she'd heard about it all her life. Her mother had heard about it all her life. And now this angel shows up and scares me to death and tells me that I'm going to be the one who gives birth to the Messiah. I'm nobody. Especially for the fact that un unlike a lot of the pictures that we see, Mary wasn't 25 or 30 years old. If you look back in, in, and read different accounts and, and what historically was probably the case, it's more likely that she was somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. Here's this young teenage girl who is told that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. Gabriel goes on to proclaim that the child would be the son of the Most High. Words that set this child apart not only as the Messiah, but also alludes to his divinity, that he was the Son of God. That's pretty overwhelming. This is what Isaiah wrote about. And this is the prophecy that had been taught in the synagogues, had been taught from generation to generation, and now here's this young teenage girl seeing that it will now be fulfilled through her. I can't even imagine what went through Mary's mind as this angel spoke. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And I'm sure in her mind she's going, that didn't help. I, I don't really get it. Right. And the angel tries to help out. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. And this is the key. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me. May it be to me, as you have said. And then the angel left her. There was something in Gabriel's announcement that caused Mary to assume that she would still be a virgin at the time of conception. And she asked, how can this be? I know I'm only a kid, but that doesn't make any sense. In response, Gabriel describes the, the Holy Spirit's intervention in causing her pregnancy. And somehow I don't think that that really took away the anxiety that she was already feeling. But just as prophesied in Isaiah 7 and 14, Mary would be a virgin at the time of conception. And then we know from reading Matthew 1 and 25, she was still a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. 
And I'm sure she's going, I know we've looked forward to this, but I don't really understand. Look for a minute at the implications to this whole announcement that the angel made. She is a young, 13 to 15 year old, unmarried woman who has become pregnant. She was subject to public ridicule, unlike today's society, where it doesn't really seem to be a big deal. In those days, it was a big deal if you weren't married and you got pregnant. She was also engaged to be married to Joseph, which was probably not going to look very good to Joseph, since he knew he wasn't the father. And so she risked him saying, get away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And if this occurred, she'd have to raise the child on her own. And if Mary's father rejected her, she and the child would be destitute at somewhere between 13 and 15 years old with a baby. And I'm sure this stuff is going through her mind and, and she's saying, as much as everybody's looked forward to this for all these hundreds of years, I'm just not so excited about it right now. Despite all these risks, she responded in faith rather than unbelief. And she declared something very simple. She said, I'm the Lord's servant, and I will accept whatever he has declared. Gabriel, you're scaring me, but if that's what God says, I'll do it. To further assure Mary of, of God's ability to do the impossible, the angel says, you have a relative named Elizabeth. You know Elizabeth, right? Yeah, she's old. Never had a kid. She's barren. Said she'll never have any. Yeah, that's the Elizabeth I'm talking about. Well, guess what? She's expecting a child. In fact, she's six months along. Oh. I feel a little bit better. And the same power that worked in Elizabeth for her to have a child will also do the impossible for you. Well, I feel a little bit better now. And rather than panic at the, at the consequences of being with child at her age and being unmarried, Mary simply submitted before God and said, I am your servant. Whatever you need. She simply believed that God would do the impossible, and she accepted her part in the plan. In spite of the difficulties that she knew lay ahead, she simply said, I am the Lord's servant. I read something recently that was written by Frederick Bushner in a book of character sketches of people from the Bible. And what he wrote not only tells a little bit about what lay ahead for Mary, but something very interesting. He, he offers a look from a different perspective, and that's of the angel Gabriel. Listen to this. This is Gabriel speaking. Now, this is just his version of it. She struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, but let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. 
He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be, and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. As he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung upon the answer of a girl. That's how awesome this was. And yet Mary said, I'm your servant. And God does provide signs for us. And while He does, some of those signs are, are there to give us assurances of His promises. There are times that we just have to trust Him because there isn't a sign. Maybe Mary knew something about the prophecy of Isaiah. And she knew these things were going to happen to someone... But all of a sudden, this was her. And often, that changes everything when it's me. We usually find it easier to believe for somebody else than for ourselves. While there's nothing wrong with asking for a sign, we need to make sure that we don't depend on signs to such an extent that we diminish our faith. Remember what Mary did. She responded in faith rather than unbelief. There are times when, when God speaks to us to do something and we just won't see a sign. We just have to believe. And then there are times when He sends a sign. But if you remember when Jesus was on the earth, He often had harsh words for people who, who hung around just wanting one more sign from Him to prove that he was who he said he was. And that kind of sign is in contrast to the signs that God may choose to extend to those who are truly seeking or truly believing who want to follow him. Sometimes what we think should be a sign is not what God chooses. Nonetheless, it's a sign. Often God is at work to show himself to people in ways that make no sense to them. You would say, well, if it would have been me and I would have been married, just the fact that an angel came and said something to me. No, you wouldn't. The part of the angel was enough to scare you, but then the rest of it was just enough to be terrified and say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. God shows Himself to us in many ways. Some of the reasons we don't see it is we're oftentimes not looking. Or we wanted it to be a sign like, like we wanted, like the parking space in front of the bakery. Or that red light to turn green so that I'll know it's your will, Lord. Has anyone ever, ever overlooked a sign that was clearly posted only to have someone ask you, didn't you see that sign? Or maybe you, unlike myself, have been stopped by a police officer and he or she asks you, did you not see that sign back there that says the speed limit is 35 miles an hour? 
I know nobody's ever done that. On that same subject, there was a state trooper parked on the side of the road waiting to catch speeders, as they often do. And he sees this car coming along at only 22 miles an hour. And thinking that this driver is as dangerous as a speeder, he turns on his lights and pulls the car over. As he approaches the vehicle, he sees that there's five older ladies in the car, two in the front seat and three in the back, and all the passengers are sitting there with their eyes about this big around and just white as a sheet. And the driver's confused and says, Officer, I don't understand. I was going the speed limit. What seems to be the problem? And the trooper now is trying not to bust out laughing. He explained that the 22 was the route number, not the speed limit. A little bit embarrassed, the woman thanks him for pointing out her mistake. But before you go, the officer says, could I, could I, have, I have to ask this, are, are all these ladies in the car okay? They seem a bit shaken. And the lady said, oh, they'll be all right, sir. We just got off of Route 172. A case of seeing the sign, but not knowing or recognizing what it said and what it means. When I was in Africa, the one thing that stopped me from having any desire to drive was the fact that there weren't any signs in the city to speak of. And that was in a city of somewhere between 12 and 15 million people. I looked up to see about how big that is. New York has about 8.8 million people. New York City. If you combine New York City and Los Angeles, it's about the size of the population of Kinshasa. And I could tell you that I could count the number of street signs I saw on this many hands. The only way you could tell where you were was by landmarks. And honestly, most of the buildings looked just alike to me. I knew when I got home. And I knew when I got to the church. Pretty much everything in between just didn't make much sense. Why? Because I never saw any signs. The other day I was on my computer and I was on Google Maps where you can actually zoom in on, on a picture of the city. And I thought, well, it would be really cool to see where I was and, and try to get an idea of where everything was. The problem is, on the map, some of the roads were named, but I never knew them. So in that two short weeks that I was there, I really realized the importance of signs. And while we are realize that signs are important in our everyday lives, both seeing them and recognizing what they mean, we also need to realize that they're important in our walk with God. In both the natural and the spiritual parts of our lives, we, need, we know that signs are helpful when we have them. And of course, when we need them. Life can be distressing when they're not there, when we miss them or when we simply ignore them. If you look back to the book of Isaiah, we see that God offered a sign to King Ahaz and he just refused it. He said, no, I don't want a sign. I'll do it my own way. What a contrast between Ahaz and Mary. And the interesting thing is the prophecy connected the two of them. Mary's faith caused her just to plunge 
headfirst into what the angel said. If that's what you say, I'm doing it. She wasn't reluctant. She might have been puzzled. She might have been confused. But she wasn't reluctant. And this young girl served an incredible, serves as an incredible example of how to respond to the signs and assurances that God gives us and the promises that He gives us. And thankfully, throughout our lives, God is faithful to post signs of direction, signs of assurance, signs of promise, signs of comfort, signs of cheer, or whatever we may need along our way. The main challenge for us is to pay attention to the signs from God. Remembering what they indicate and then doing what they say. It doesn't do any good to see a sign and not follow the directions. If you're driving on the interstate and it says that your exit is two miles and you go, I just don't think I want to get off the interstate in two miles. I'll just keep driving. Well, then that sign just didn't do a whole lot of good. And chances are you'll get lost. And we think, well, that's just silly. But people do that in their walk with God all the time. God puts a sign of some type up for them, say, this is really where you need to go. And they go, no, I just think I'll do it my way. I'm just going to keep going my direction. And the result's the same. Often they find themselves lost. We have to remember that while God often provides us with a sign, there won't always be a sign. And when there is, it may not be the one that we thought it should be. But if we're paying attention, we'll see it. See, I believe that sometimes those signs might be something as simple as a rainbow after a storm. Or the stars on a beautiful clear night that give us reassurance that God is certainly in control. It might be a word from God in a sermon or in a, in a Sunday school lesson about something that we've been troubled over. And we've sat there and all of a sudden we hear words spoken that just speak right to exactly what we were talking and what we were talking to God about and what we were troubled over. And if we're really careful, we realize that that was a sign from God. It wasn't a flash of lightning. It wasn't a voice from heaven. But it was a sign. I know there's been times in my life when I have, I have missed signs that God gave, and there thankfully have been some times when I actually saw them. Many times as I, since I work in Lakeland and live in Brandon, as I'm driving home, I see the sunset. And I don't think that's an accident. I think God knew that I needed that. Because there's many times when I might be troubled throughout the day. And as I, as I drive home, I, I look up in the sky, if I'm paying attention, and I see things that only God can create. The most amazing colors. It looks like cotton candy at the, at the fair. The blues and the pinks and the oranges and the clouds and the, the reflection of the sun from the clouds. And if we really pay attention to just those things, we realize, you know what? If God can do that, He won't have any trouble taking care of what I'm worried about. 
there's a sign. When God does show us a sign, we have to believe that He is always faithful. We have to do what we are supposed to do in response and know that He always does what He says He will do. I believe that Mary could have said to Gabriel, No. I think you need to find somebody else. That's just asking way too much. I know you're an angel and all that, and that's pretty cool, but I I just, I'm not willing to do that. And maybe Gabriel would have said, yeah, but I'm an angel. God sent me specifically to you. You're the one that showed. Yeah, but I just don't think so. And we look at that and say, well, that just couldn't have happened. But we have those opportunities in our lives too where God speaks to us and says, here's what I need you to do. And yet we go, yeah, I don't think so. Maybe get somebody else to do that. But when we see that sign, when we believe that God is faithful and we respond the way that we're supposed to, when we finally are able to do that, we soon discover that the signs that God provides for us always point to His faithfulness and His loving heart for us. God bless you.